once uh, once Doug's ready there, he's uh, Doug fixing his lights or he's yeah. flexing he's his muscles there or what's he doing there? Doug oh, after he's... dark. Wow. <laughs> my son's. I'm in my son's room and it's it's not very well lit at all. I know the lighting was fine until you fucked it up. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. All right. All right. Okay. Well, this is exciting. Let's get going. Welcome to another episode of the Sylvester Stallone podcast. Part of the last of the action heroes podcast network i'm your host ryan and of course with me as always like 90 we say as always we're talking 95 percent. we've done like 30 plus 35 episodes of the show uh it the goal is always to get the three of us on we've got doug from rocky minute and craig from slycast how you both doing doing good doing good ready to talk some oscar today boys <laughs> I'm doing good as well. I am not ready to talk some Oscar. <laughs> I I kicked and screamed about this one. You did. Uh, this is the most. I mean, just I mean, people don't know this, but I mean, of course, the three of us we have a chat group on Facebook that we correlate through and say hi to or share things with. And regarding this episode with, with Craig, it's been anytime it's brought up, anytime it's scheduled, you can just sense the. I don't know how to word it, but this. I mean, it's just text. But he's just like, yeah, sure, okay. It's so downtrodden. Craig, is there a reason why you'd be so downtrodden about talking about talking about your thoughts and feelings? Of the I, I don't know. It's funny. I know when we did Rhinestone in the in the chat there, uh, our friend John Rivoli, you know, said that this was Sly's best comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to agree to disagree with John. I think this movie is just a sluggish bore and. You know, the thought of podcasting about it for 90 minutes, you know, is just not exciting to me. (laughs) Well, uh, I think uh, I'll say one thing uh, in preparation to our analysis. Um, Sly benefits most from the ensemble around him. And I think these guys, his his co-stars elevated even Sly's comedic abilities in this. I, I, okay. I didn't think it was bad. I don't think it's it's a bad, terrible movie. Okay. It's not great by any stretch, but I'd yeah. watch it again. The bar is so not. low at this point with Sly movies for us, Doug. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, seriously. If you're using that measuring stick, you know, I guess there, there's there's been... There's been fewer diamonds in the rough than more rough. But. Yeah. Now, this was a, a first watch for you, Doug? Yeah. I've oh, I, Well, wow. I, I wouldn't say first watch. I saw it many, many, many years okay. ago, um, you know, on like HBO or something. I haven't seen it since. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, that's it's pretty fresh for me. Okay. So, yeah, that's usually our first question, of course, is when did you first see it? I, I'm kind of like you, Doug. This came out in 1991. Uh, April 26th, my mother's birthday, actually, uh, April, sorry, April, yeah, April 26th, 1991, I would have been 15 and a half at the time of this release. And I did see this in the theaters. I would have gone at that time. Definitely was a big theater goer at the age of 15, loved going to the movies and Stallone, of course, be my, you know, icon hero and uh, a huge fan of Stallone. I, and I was a big fan of mafia movies and uh, mob movies. And I'm a big fan of comedy. So all these things lined up for me as a 15-year-old. You can imagine my excitement. This is a mafia film. It had a comedy spin. And being a fan of both comedy and mafia, what could go wrong? What? <laughs> so, and I, will I did say- not see this. I did not see this in theaters, Ryan. Um, oh, wow. I thought you would. I may have said it on the Slycast episode when my memory was closer to the time the movie came out. 
by <laughs> five years. But um, no, I probably saw this like like Doug said sometime on home video in the mm-hmm. in the '90s, and then of course I watched it again for Slycast, and then I watched it again for this show, and then I will probably never watch it again. <laughs> Life is getting shorter. I mean, the three of us, we're all like, I always forget our ages, but I'm 48 in October. And and as time continues forward, yeah, I'm kind of like you, Craig. It's just, there's only so much time we have left to consume entertainment or anything, really. And yeah, this may be the last time I ever watched the film. This actually just might, for this show, was the... And it was the first time I saw the film, I dare say, in its entirety through a sit-down watch-through probably since i saw in the theater so that could be very telling that there's a reason why i never i never bought it on vhs uh i never saw it after it on uh, you know hbo or movie whatever movie channel was a paid cable channel back in the day never bought it on dvd so i think as it one year turns into decade turns into three decades i don't think i just ever revisit this film until we prepared for the show so that's that could be kind of telling for all of us here um Okay, so let me give uh, Doug. Do you have a breakdown of the film? I have a write up, Doug. If you don't, I, I don't. But I, I I thought it was I was going to try to do it off the top of my head, but it, it's well, too. I want to hear this. No, I can't. It's too oh. involved. The plot is is way too convoluted. I, I, yeah, I don't have a plot per se, like beat for beat, other than what we could just obviously. I hate to use it's a it's a three's up, company but. episode, basically. Yeah. It's okay. More than that. More than that, Craig. I'm glad you brought that up because that's very true. We'll we'll get to that. But before we get to the what, what it compares to, Oscar. For anyone who doesn't know, it's a 1991 American comedy. Well, <laughs> intended comedy. Uh, film directed by John Landis. We'll talk about him, of course, as well. It takes inspiration from the uh, Claude Maginet stage play, but it's also a remake of the 1967 French film of the same name. So I guess it was a stage and film. Uh, but it, but the twist here is that it's Depression era uh, New York instead of whatever French location they use for the play in the movie. Sylvester Stallone, known for his action-packed roles, adventures again into comedy. He just did, of course, at this time, he did uh, Rhinestone 84. Uh, what else did he do? He's sort of tangled cash at some comedy bits Stop in 89. It. Stop or my mom will shoot was after this? I believe so, yes. I think he got confidence with his comedy and did a little bit more. Um, so he definitely did comedy with Rhinestone, and Tangled Cash is like, it's definitely an action kind of buddy comedy, like a Lethal Weapon being comedy. But not the sense of what we're dealing with here. But anyways, he plays a guy named Angelo Snaps, provolone, (laughs) a mob boss who makes a heartfelt promise to his dying father to leave the world of crime and become an honest businessman. And joining Stallone are the actors Marissa Tomei, Ornella Muti, Tim Curry, and Chaz. How do you say his last name, Craig? Palminteri. Palminteri. Okay. Yeah. The film's uh, score was composed by Elmer Bernstein. Now, director John Landis took inspiration from classic Hollywood comedies, particularly the screwball genre that was big at this time. He, uh, trying to add a charming vintage to the to the movie, uh, the movie hit theaters in the United States. Of course, I said this already. April 26, 1991, receiving mixed reviews from... I like the fact that you said trying. Um, well, one thing I want to just say out up front, Uh, Ryan and Doug is I think the fact that this was based on a stage play and then a a film that was made from that stage play is part of the problem with this movie for me because there are times where you adapt stage plays and you make certain changes for the theatrical experience a a good example not a great movie 
probably a bad movie by most people's indication, Rock of Ages. Now, I've seen the Rock of Ages stage play, and it's a, a really fun live mm. stage experience. But for the movie, they knew there were certain characters that just weren't going to work. The two German okay. guys out the door. And the movie's better for it. Again, a lot of people don't like that movie. I think it's a fun you know, it is a fun film. Listen, yeah. I look if we're talking about Rock, Rock of Ages, let's uh, we could talk about that for a while. It, <laughs> you know, it's it's a fun film. I love Tom Cruise's portrayal of some sort of like cross between Axl Rose and uh, yeah, uh, Bon Jovi or Bon Jovi, uh, Axl Rose, and uh, Robert Plant type persona. Yeah, yeah, it's all there. And yeah, he did a great job. I love the uh, the music. And, Have you uh, seen the I, stage play? No, I haven't seen the stage, oh, okay. but I, I thought the film was fun. It's schlocky yeah. fun, but it's fun. It's like yeah. hairspray or anything like that, right? But like I said, there was there was a whole plot point and a whole set of characters that they just took out because mm-hmm. they knew it would be corny as fuck for the movie. And I think that's one of the problems with this is I think they adhered it, – it, it almost looks like they just used the the play, you know, yeah. because it, it's, mm-hmm. it's almost an hour and 50 minutes long, which it's, I it's think for a screwball long. comedy yeah. – an hour 40 is a lot more appropriate. Uh, and I, I just think there's some, like for me, as much as I love the performances and the character and the actors, I don't think you needed the two tailors. Like, I mean, they didn't, they didn't do anything to advance the plot. They might've been the best part of the movie though. <laughs> well, And that said, when, when people that have no bearing on the plot right. are the two best parts of the movie, maybe it's time to take a look at the script and say, <laughs> what's going on here. Well, the threat of them being um, hitmen was was part of the plot. <laughs> right, that but, was that was but, the Three's Company moment that Craig was talking mm-hmm. about. Is that you have that classic sitcom misunderstanding of? But there's these... multiple ones in this movie, even oh, going right. back to who his daughter wants to marry. Yeah, okay, or who yeah, his accountant wants to marry. It's it, the whole movie is set up on on misunderstandings, which is a, that's a funny setup. Right away, watching watching through the movie, I got like increasingly um, trading places, coming to America vibes throughout the the entire movie. And I, I think John out, Landis directed both of both those. of them. He did, yeah. and I, I didn't I didn't even realize that myself when I was getting those vibes. Oh wow! Um, All right, there you go. Yeah, so it's, it's director's uh, what do you call it? Style. 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 Yeah, he yeah. definitely has a style, but I'm but those are are classics. So why does something like Trading Places work and this doesn't? Script, yep. Asked. Uh, this is a horrible script. Uh, I want to go back to you, Craig, a little bit of regarding the sitcom Three's Company with the misunderstandings. But you know what it reminded me even more of one of my favorite, like top three sitcoms of all time, maybe the top two, Frasier. This is an hour and fifty minute episode of Frasier. Like the writers of Frasier could have done this in twenty minutes. Mm-hmm. It would have been a more concise, funny plot. They get this, the idea of you know somebody marrying the wrong daughter, or whatever the father mix up. Think of all those. Fr- I don't know if you guys ever watched Frasier. You know when they have like a dinner party that goes awry, awry or whatever, and you know the the uh, the there's one episode where um, uh, Niles was throwing a dinner party to his apartment. There was like. And there was like a mix up with the menu and stuff and all these things. And there was like a pair, a big bird involved, like all these crazy antics in 22 minutes. And you're laughing the whole time through one hour and 50 minutes of script. And I think I chuckled. I think I might've smirked or been like, huh, once that's (laughs) one laugh. One, I mean, one like amused moment. It is one of the, 
it's there's something oddly dull about this film. It it feels frantic. Okay, it's designed to look frantic, and we're supposed and sound to sound frantic with the music. It, yeah, exactly. We have Stallone's character snaps. I guess he was nicknamed Snaps because he snaps his fingers and yeah, when he gives orders, give me breakfast, give me my grapefruit. But he doesn't always talk. He snaps without speaking too. That's part of the idea is that people understand his snaps like a like some sort of second or third language that his snaps will indicate the order without him actually verbalizing what he's indicating that needs to get done. And people will jump to his snaps. Okay, before we get to any okay, well we can we can talk, we can put a bow tie on the snaps. Ridiculous nickname. It's not funny, it's overplayed. And people that snap at me, I'll break your thumbs, man. Don't you snap at me? And and you know, I just this the behavior of a snapping. We're supposed to be scared of that. Like he's supposed. I know he was a big mob boss, and that's the idea. Is he's a he's a you know a Godfather esque type mob boss, but he doesn't show any kind of scariness or any reason why I should be intimidated by this character throughout the film. Just because you've gone quote unquote clean or or legit. There was no like. Imagine uh, the Sopranos. Imagine the plot line. The Sopranos. I believe I, I haven't seen it in a while. There may may have been one throughout their five seasons or whatever. That uh, James Gandolf, uh What's it? Tony Soprano. That he was trying to go straight. And there was times that Tony was actually funny and like he would be comedic. You would laugh, but just as much as you would laugh at Tony or find him funny as a viewer, then you were terrified of him as well. Mm-hmm. That that's good writing. That's good character development. But we're also we're, talking about one of the greatest TV performances of all time. <laughs> I, mean, like, I, I know, but what I'm getting at is you have a character yeah, the mafia guy. Yeah. You're genuinely both, afraid, but he's also able to be funny. Yes. Yeah. And, and Stallone's character was neither fearsome nor funny. Doug? No, I I don't, but I don't think that that's yeah. He he's a mob boss in the movie, but it's supposed to be like a slapsticky kind of kind of role. So you thought you it know? succeeded with the humor? <sighs> well, defend be, the uh, film. Maybe you're yeah, the defender. Uh, sure. All right, all right. I'll, I'll, I'll I will try to defend the film. All right. Um, yeah, I, I don't think he's supposed. You're not supposed to look at this as you know a, a high drama. Goodfellas style drama, but um, like yeah, Sly is his character is a mob boss, but you know everything goes wrong. It's one of those classic tales of you know Murphy's Law in this in this movie, but um, like he's not supposed to be. He's supposed to be like the the subject of all the humor, you know, like like the the idiots that work for him. He's the one that's got to clean up their mess, or you know um, he. You know, he 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 tries to pull out a gun, but because you know he's not supposed to have a gun anymore, he pulls out a turkey. You know, like it's it's dumb, stupid slapstick shit like that. That that makes. Oh, there it. was that one scene, right, Doug? Where like he asked, he says, "Give me the gun." Then he's like, "Give me your backup gun." Yeah, yeah. And that, he, yeah. Chaz Palantari, he's, yeah. he's he's um he's unloading all his pockets, and it keeps going and going. Yeah, like it, it's that that rule of comedy that it it stopped being funny, and yeah. he kept pulling out more and more ridiculous weapons, and it became funny again. Oh wow, okay, so maybe I missed that because I I'm not even joking. I'm not even trying to be funny, but when it, when we got to that scene when he pulled out the third weapon. Mm-hmm. I hit skip on my player because <laughs> once I got once I got the joke like once uh, once I knew where this was going I went skip 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 like wow this scene is quite long and it like I don't know why that would be like the the desk is piling up and every the you know, he did ugh, sorry the only thing he didn't bring out was a bazooka like it was that kind of but in the in what which is weird because that would have worked had it been part of a naked gun film. 
But this this movie wasn't Naked Gun humor. That scene would have fit Naked Gun, yes, or that kind of parody, like Loaded Weapon or Naked Gun, that kind of humor, perfect. That kind of scene would be a, almost a throwaway scene and a lot of scenes of Naked Gun humor. Okay, well, but I the problem feel like this this was that kind of movie. No, no, no. That's what I'm getting. At. This is a this is a Fraser like episode where everything else was just dialogue, Spitfire dialogue. We're to go in this room, have this conversation with this character. This information is given. Now we have new information as a character and as a viewer. Now we're going to go into this room with these characters, with their information. They're sharing information. They're sharing information. We're crossing rooms, going through the house, up, down, downstairs, upstairs, downstairs. And then every now and then we get the exterior shot of the cops looking into the chaos, trying to figure out what's going on with their purview of the chaos of information flowing back and <coughs> forth between these characters. And the information that's given is it's never funny. It's always just a misunderstanding. Then they catch up to each other with the plot a little bit, and then it gets lost again, and then they get caught up again, and then and then everyone lives happily ever after at the end. I just there's just too much going on. Too and Oscar much gets his ass kicked, right? They they yeah. kick his ass, right? They <laughs> carry do, him. Do you want to mention? Who, <clears throat> do you want to mention who Oscar is as a character and who played him? This is actually one of the more interesting parts of the film, believe it or not. Do you know who played Oscar in the film? Oh, good. Can I share something interesting? Okay. Th- th- now, because people, people, before people turn off the episode, I have something very interesting, very kind of a deep dive here. Okay. The actor who plays Oscar, his name is Jim Mulholland. No one ring. Okay. So he wrote the film from the screenplay. Okay. He's actually, not only did he write the film, but he's actually a kind of a legit comedy writer in the industry. He wrote for Johnny Carson. He wrote Carson. for Jay Leno. He wrote for oh, Johnny. He wrote for Johnny Carson. Oh, good for him. Yes. And not only did he write for Johnny, so Johnny was at a do- – now, I'm going to show this to you guys. If you have two minutes, I might edit it for the audio episode release. Uh, but it's a two-minute clip, but I think you guys would appreciate it. So it's Don Rickles at a Johnny Carson roast, and Don Rickles is doing his roast portion. And Jim Mulholland, the writer of Oscar and the guy who played Oscar in the film at the very end of the film, gets carried out of the chapel, and his that is his only film credit ever, okay? He happens to be at this Don. So he's a writer for Johnny. So he's in the audience at the Johnny Carson roast and he gets roasted by Don Rickles in the process. So there you go. Yeah. How about that for a fine? So here I'll show it to you right now. (laughs) I don't know who you are, kid in the front, but you're getting on my nerves. I saw a little kid with a drip-dry shirt with no stay in the collar. What's your name, kid? Take your time. What's your name? Wrong! What's your last name, Jim? You better answer me or the general will wipe you up! What's your last name, Jim? Take your time. Look on your underwear. Maybe it's stencil. Jim Mulholland? I'm in the business 20 years. I don't have a joke for a dumbbell that's named Mulholland. What are you, a road? Hope you make a left and go right into yourself. Alan King, who said to me in his beautiful country estate, Notice how the hunting dogs bite your wife. 
that hangs around the health club and wants to pull off your towel. <laughs> too fast for you, Mulholland? Why did I put one dumbbell right in the front? I'm rolling, and this kid's going, pull off the towel. All right. So there's oh, my hit. goodness. I, w- I was muted because my laughter would have probably ruined the, the playback. Man, absolute legend. Don Rickles was the best. Yeah, I love it. And I figured you guys would appreciate that humor. I know you guys are a fan of that, uh, those days, the Johnny Carson days and Don Rickles roasting. Boy, he was great. But what a find. I I mean, uh, not me, but I lucked out uh, by searching about this uh, actor, writer, and it just so happened on YouTube that, that somebody found this clip. I don't know who or why they made this clip, but they act, the whole clip is Don Rickles uh, discovers uh, John Mulholland. But this guy wrote... Uh, so t- talk about yeah, talk about that. Imagine uh, being roasted by Don Rickles like that. What an honor, you know, to be honest. Yeah, right. You know. I, maybe Jim uploaded it. Uh, <laughs> he has a uh, or Johnny mean uh, John Mulholland? Yeah, uh, is he dead? I, I th- actually no, I don't think he is. Actually, he okay. was he, he was a young writer with Johnny. Yeah, he's still active according to his Wikipedia. <laughs> yeah. He's he still alive. Really young in the movie. I mean, yeah. So, so I think you wanted to explain who he was. So Oscar, the title character of the movie, is yes. Stallone's daughter's boyfriend who's off to war correct that's right that's it and he shows up at the very end of the film to say no 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 i i don't want the i don't want mr tomey's character to get married because you know well and they get he you know they're like enough you're not messing this up anymore we, we've got to this point they carry him away and the movie ends that's kind of how i took it right final um, punchline do we want to talk about uh marissa tomey in this film she she goes for it. She yeah, overacts, but the, the that, thing that's the way it was I, written. Yeah, and I, I wanted to comment. She on, almost seems I, like one of the only people that got it, Doug. Yeah, yeah I was gonna say yeah, she yeah, was yeah. the highlight. She was the highlight. Mm-hmm. Like her, if you picked her up and and dropped her in black and white into like a, yes. a movie from the forties, yes, mm-hmm. yeah, you wouldn't blink an eye that she's out of place. Right. She's she's got that that uh, Rita Her Hayworth cadence. You know, and and uh, I was going to. She was uh, twenty seven in that film. Oh, I thought she was younger. No, twenty six. Well, maybe twenty six during the filming of it. Yeah. Well, I was going to say I know um, people accuse Stallone of overacting, uh, and he certainly does in this. You know, um, but I think everybody does, and she's the one that pops into my mind. Like nobody can accuse Stallone of really overdoing it and not bring Marissa Tomei into the conversation either. But yeah, like, but yeah, see, I think the thing is, Marissa Tomei did her homework. She was probably yeah, she understood one of the, the assignment few that actually knew the assignment. Yeah, and went home and probably watched the six movies that John Landis suggested watching or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Kurtwood Smith pulls it off, but he's yeah. a much yeah, lesser yeah. character, and Kurtwood Smith is an absolute, you know, amazing, amazing actor. I mean, I, I you don't can think go from will. the dad on that '70s show to Clarence Boddicker and RoboCop. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Not many people can do that. Yeah, well, he goes I, for it too. I think everyone did fine. I think actually that was one not to take. I hate reading people's critics, like the professional critics, because I don't like to be biased when we do our own reviews of the film. But one of the bylines I saw with the mixed reviews was is that the cast isn't the issue. Mm. And that's not the problem. Uh, the movie, here's the thing. If you were to, I don't know how to say this, because if you were just to look at the movie, visually the movie looks great. It's a great looking movie Mm -hmm. it is a stage film now there's a lot of films that are successful that don't need 
more than one or two interior exterior shots. Oscar is such a film, and I've forgotten this. So when I saw this for the first time after 30 years, I'd forgotten that this this all takes place in one house. Essentially, the yeah. whole film takes place. So I'd forgotten that. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I, I'm an old enough person that, you know, my age watching films, I can watch something on one stage. I don't mind that. I, there's just something. It's almost they almost did the impossible with this, with the cast, with already having a play in place. I wonder, was the was the original play successful was it funny was it considered a french classic because if you already have a formula that works why isn't it that it didn't work in an english format it, it was it lost in translation that's what i'm confused about because you have people who can act you have people that showed up everyone nobody dialed it in i don't mind the corniness of the characters that i i do not mind it at all i think they were trying to be like naked gun type characters marissa Tomei was a great example of somebody who through no fault of her own, the script wasn't great, and she. But her the way she acted as that you know, throwing a tantrum on the bed, and you know, I, I just loved the way she was. I thought she was definitely the highlight, and she was. I, I've forgotten how gorgeous she is. She was just a stunner of a, of a young lady. Um. Anyway, so yeah, I mean, and that was like one of her first films too. This is like almost introducing Marissa Tomei. If you didn't know that, this was her bit first biggest role ever. Mm-hmm. So um, she definitely got a career from this, regardless. Um, okay, before we get to uh, more stuff from the plot, I know, uh, Craig, you probably know more than anyone, maybe, about John Lannis. Do you want to talk about John Lannis? And the other question I have for you is, did this movie wreck his career? Um, did this movie wreck his career? <laughs> yeah. uh, my wife's using a blender, so oh, sure, no worries. hopefully she's done in a minute. Uh so I don't know if you want to just riff for. Okay, well let me just well let me uh, while you're collecting your thoughts on John Lennis, I'll just say, uh, of course we all know the name, but I even went to Wikipedia just to double check, like oh he did that film, he did that film. So the, here's some of the big ones he did. Of course he did the Kentucky Fried Movie. I think that was considered maybe one of his bigger first time comedy hits. Mm-hmm. Animal House. Now I had you know, I, I mentioned on one of her Facebook posts uh, with Katie. She does her own podcast called the Retro Made Podcast. She also co-hosts with me on the Rocky Podcast. She's fantastic. She's great. And she did a post about Animal House. And I made a mention, which I got uh, raked over the coals for, especially by Craig, of course, where I I said I hadn't seen Animal House. It came out when – one thing, it came out when Wait, I was no, – wasn't that Revenge of the Nerds? I thought it was Animal House. No, it was Revenge of the Nerds because I kept calling you a nerd. I kept oh, that's you. right. You did. <laughs> yeah. Sorry to ruin your bit, Ryan. But yes, no, nerds. But it, yeah, I, well, you know, it's funny. It it doesn't ruin my bit per se because I feel like if I've seen one or the other, it's been once and that's it. And that was decades ago. So I haven't seen Animal House or Nerds in 30 to 35 years. Okay, so uh, so Landis, uh, he directed Animal House, big name, a big movie. I like, I it's almost like I know more about the film as a film than know the film, if that makes sense. Blues Brothers, of course, American Werewolf in London, these are huge. Uh, coming soon, I haven't heard about. Trading Place is huge. Twilight Zone, the movie, he did a segment in that one as well. Spies he also like killed us, some people on that. That's that, the one. That's him, eh? Yeah, he killed uh, Vic Morrow. Uh, well, okay, Jennifer well, he Jason was. Lee's- uh, father and two was it Jennifer uh, Jason Lee's father? Yeah, and then no, also two young innocent Vietnamese children. Yeah, I know he was found not liable in a court of law, but that's right. I I've, I've also him. I've also personally seen John Landis uh, be a rude motherfucker to people. So uh, mm. I, I was at a convention uh, probably a dozen years ago at this point with uh, Karen Allen was in the audience. 
not participating in the in the uh, the the panel, but just in the audience watching. And Niedermeyer from Animal House, um, the guy from the Twisted Sister videos, they were together. Now I don't know if they were together together, but they were sitting together. Mm-hmm. But I saw John Landis berate a poor audiovisual guy. The projector wasn't working or something, so they called him in. And instead of John Landis being a professional and saying, hey, we have some difficulties, let me riff for a couple minutes, he decided to berate some poor guy that was probably making nine bucks an hour um, and embarrass him in front of 200 people. Just absolute asshole behavior. Um, I'm really not a fan of the guy as as a a person. Um, But, yeah, he's made some absolute classics. But there was a point where he lost it. He made Beverly Hills Cop 3. I mean... Before we get to that, before we get to that, I just want to finish this, his, the films you're talking about. So, yeah, despite him being a murderer, he went on to make, um, <laughs> is, well, let's be honest, uh, Spies Like Us. I saw that in the theaters. I loved that movie as a kid. Uh, Three Amigos, I loved. Uh, Coming to America, of course. And then, so Coming to America was 88, and then the return three years later, he then returned with Oscar. And other than maybe the box office draw to some degree of a Beverly Hills Cop, which was part three ninety four, he never really did anything again. He no. didn't. He, he did his own sequel, The Blues Brothers, Blue Brothers two thousand. Did you see that one? Either one of you? Mm-mm. No Belushi. There's no no reason to watch yeah. it. John Goodman. No thanks. Yeah. I mean, I like John Goodman. I like Dan Aykroyd, but <laughs> yeah, John the Blues John... Brothers works because of John Belushi. Yeah, yeah. Um, I well, and and I I don't want to. I mean. I don't want to discount whatever talent John Landis may or may not have, but if you look at the, that filmography, look at the people be involved behind the scenes. Animal House was written by the pinnacle, you know, writers at national at the Lampoon at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, Trading Places again. Look at the look at the pedigree behind it. Um, I think he had just he was really lucky to be uh, involved with some films that are just absolutely you know stellar movies of their time and in their genres mm-hmm. but i i don't think he's the sole ingredient for that you know what i mean when yeah. i hear something when i hear something ironic here guys so john landis was an executive producer of a film in 2012 an american comedy drama horror film he was executive executive producer of this film uh, the title was "Some Guy Who Kills People," <laughs> he and did it wasn't a, an autobiography. No, it wasn't an autobiography. Is there that, was the, there was crazy. a film in in the uh, mid '80s called um, "Into the Night," Jeff Goldblum, and that was kind okay. of a oh. uh, it, it was a, a joint. It was it was like an act of solidarity by all of Hollywood's best directors at the time that all came together to show solidarity for John Landis. And they all like start, not start, but they all had little bit parts in the movie. Really? Um, yeah. It, it's uh, I've I, never I heard of this. Think. Yeah. Cronenberg, I think was in it. Oh, yeah, I'm um, looking again at the Wikipedia. Cause I saw, yeah. So cameo appearances here. Mm-hmm. Uh, one's the names, Jonathan Demi. Um, a lot of big names back in the Lawrence Kasdan. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The other huge names in the industry that we like, obviously enough to have their own Wikipedia page, but they're older time names. But the big cast: Dan Aykroyd, David Bowie. Oh, I see. Yeah, uh, David Cronenberg. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you're right. But that was the, them coming together after the um, after, after the Twilight Zone debacle. 
It was um, all trial. Was, I mean, it, yeah. it was like I said, he was it, found not liable or whatever. His I mean, biggest but. crime was was violating labor laws, right? Like he did he did he didn't murder those people in the sense where he you know spun the helicopter blade to cut their heads off. <laughs> no, but I but I also think that a direct result of of that incident, a lot of things were changed on how film sets were yes, approached. I that's mean, right. right. Um, it, it's my understanding, and I haven't read the books on this, and I haven't read the court transcripts, but I, I probably watched the E True Hollywood story on it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but from what I understand, Landis just wanted it to look bigger, right? So that involved getting helicopters closer to actors that probably shouldn't have been in proximity. Mm-hmm. But then I think it gets into the point where, like, there's pr- there's professionals that say, "Hey, we're at a point where it's no longer safe." Yeah. So I think that's ultimately why Landis was, you know, not found. Uh, legally responsible for it but there's a faces of death style video like a really far far off shot from from the helicopter collapsing it's yeah it's absolutely tragic i mean i i i I think about you know i mean i i think about people that have died on movie sets before and there's a lot of them i mean brandon lee we all know but dar robinson was doing a stupid fucking motorcycle stunt that he died after the after the stunt. He mm-hmm. was just driving, you know, like slowly riding the motorcycle. One of what? the most legendary. Who was that? Who was that? Robinson. He um what movie he played uh, Bunny Eyes in in um the Burt Reynolds movie Stick. Um, he is just a. Uh, if you're looking at stuntmen from the 70s and, and early 80s, Dar Robinson is an absolute legend. You know, you put him up there against Vic Dar- Vic Armstrong, um, and I mean he. I think he w- invented the technology of like the. the oh, he went off a he went off a cliff. Yeah, yeah. he went off but a cliff. It, <laughs> Sorry, he rode his stunt motorcycle past the breaking point. Yeah, of a I mean, it was just a freak a accident. I mean, if Ooh. if you look at the movies this guy did and some of the stunts he did, he did a a sick high fall. Um, you've watched the Burt Reynolds movie Stick before, right? No. Oh wow. Okay. Well. The Spoiler, list. he does a, a great high fall. He he actually acts in that movie as well. Oh. Um, no, but what I was saying is, you know, I mean, it's just, you know, I, I think about that occasionally. I'm like, these people, Vic Morrow woke up that morning and went to work. Right. And he didn't come home that night. Like, no. I mean, like, there's very few jobs where, you know, you're not going to come home at the end of the day. Yeah. And I mean, like, Acting and those two little kids, I mean, <clears throat> those two little kids, I mean, their parents were like, hey, this is kind of cool. Our kids are going to be extras in a movie. Mm-hmm. And their yeah. kids didn't come home that night. And yeah, those they, kids they, didn't they have became, a life. They became extra extras. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's it's a real, and they, it's a real they, bummer. They didn't even have a part in the final cut either. I don't. I don't think we should say parts and cuts with the. Yeah. yeah. No, I don't think any of that. Any of that footage. You know. No. It, the, no. The, I don't know. The Vic yeah. Morrow. The Vic Morrow skit is in the movie, but it's yeah. the the whole it's Vietnamese weird. like the hel- the helicopter part isn't in there. Crazy. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, let's. Uh, well, that's no. I love that sidebar stuff because I think we've said a lot about the film, but so the way we feel about the film and going yeah, through the plot. Go, I did want to get. I, I. I think you're gonna do a plot rundown at this point, yeah. but I, I do want to. I, I do want to talk about some more genuinely funny movie moments. Please, and yeah. I don't think it completely delivered. But the very beginning of the movie, after we get through that six minute opera piece, which just did not work for me, the claymation, oh. the California <laughs> raisin guy. 
Yeah. Okay, well, but, oh, I actually have a. I have the film, but anything you want to speak to, we have time. I'll no, no, I was going to say that I. You get his parents. You get uh, Kurt Russell and Yvonne DiCarlo. Um, and I think the Kurt Russell, uh, not Kurt Russell, uh, Kirk Douglas. I was going to say, wow, Kurt yeah. Russell, the makeup job there. Yeah, right. No, Kirk Douglas. Uh, I think that's it. It tries to or it attempts to set the, the tone for the movie. And I just I don't think it's executed 100 percent well. Uh, but you can sort of see what they're going for, especially like when he promises the dad he won't uh, he'll give up crime. And then everybody thinks the dad's dead. That's and then he wakes work. up one last time and he punches Stallone. He slaps like, the shit yeah. out of him. And that, yeah. You like, didn't laugh me, at any of this. Yeah. That, <laughs> that's the kind of stuff that no. works for me. It, like yeah. oh, and you okay. guys yeah. know I love stupid shit. And this is yeah, yeah. a scene full of stupid shit. This one worked. Yes. Okay, well, let's watch a little bit of it and I'll 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 tell you why, Doug. It didn't make me laugh. It may have made me well, I'll say now. It may it may have made me chuckle in the theaters but the problem was i knew that scene from the trailers even back when i was a teenager so i knew that scene was coming so i didn't laugh again that's i that's why i never like to watch comedy trailers for that reason i don't want to see any funny parts before the movie uh i actually don't watch trailers in general because i don't want to be spoiled by anything uh that being said i knew that scene and this is the only scene that i remembered from the film so when they went into the one piece or the one set piece film after this sequence i'd forgotten that but this is the only part that stuck to with me after 30 years for better or for worse i remembered this whole sequence of him but let's just watch a little bit of it right now since i have it ready i'll go straight i promise so now his dad falls back and you think he's gonna die Michi as the priest. That's right. <laughs> That's a so you won't forget. And look at that. Look at the look at the camera. Breaking the fourth wall. He does it a few times. Two or three. You're absolutely right, Doug. He does it two or three times for the film where he looks at the camera, looks at the audience, and I'm like. And that that ruins it for me. Don't do that. Don't look at the cat. Don't. I don't like that. Or, no. well, here's the balancing act. This sequence is we have a naked gun film. That's where I thought I was going. Like him pretending that he's dead. Slaps, uh, uh, slap, snaps in the face. Snaps. Looks at the camera with the other. Like I can't believe I just got slapped by him. I didn't see that coming. Uh, all that. I'm like, okay. But then when we get to the film, it just turns into, like I said, an overdrawn 22-minute sitcom episode of misunderstandings, miscommunication, uh, misidentification of characters, sharing information. It's not the complete story. and But we're supposed to feel like we're supposed to laugh at each sequence. And I found myself slightly stressed and or annoyed. I wanted everyone just to get together in the room and talk it out. And it was never happening. And it's... it. It's a device, again, that works in a 20-minute sitcom, but not in an hour and 45 minutes. That's the problem, that the idea isn't not sound. It's just dragged out for film. Uh, but before we get into more film talk, I have another clip here I want to show you guys. I think this clip will just speak for itself. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> Sylvester Stallone. Well, as you can see in Oscar, Kirk played my father, and 
The scene was supposed to be where he's laying in bed and actually just leans over and gives me a movie slap. Well, he's laying there with his eyes closed and they're closed very tight and he's swinging and he's missing. So I said, Kirk, look, you were in that great film Champion and ever since I did Rocky, you've been dying to take a shot at me. So I said, I'll tell you what, do it. No problem, go for it, I can take it. <laughs> Let me have your best. Kirk, I was joking. Next thing, forehand, backhand, right, left, and the director, John Landon, says, that's beautiful. Let's do another take. I said, what, are you crazy? I said, I'm getting brain damage here. He said, ah, go on, be a sport. Anyway, we did it, and I learned the hard way, never spar with Spartacus. <laughs> of all the heroes I saw on the screen growing up, none of them had a greater impact than you. And I have to say, that's probably one of the major contributing factors to me ever wanting to go into films. And thank you. And Michael. Wherever you are, don't mess with your father. Ciao. Okay, a couple things here. What I love about Sly is I don't know if I believe anything he says. The more I isn't that isn't that weird? Uh, I see you sh- uh, nodding your head. It's it's is he just a storyteller? Like, and I don't. It's not it's not harming anyone. It's not hurting anybody. There's no crime being committed. But I feel like everything's a story. Everything yeah. is so whimsical and so it, it, do you guys catch that? Yeah, and, and you know what? I, I speak we were speaking of Revenge of the Nerds earlier, and you probably won't would know the reference, but the guy who played Booger, Curtis Armstrong. Right. Yeah, I remember. Um, that. he went yeah, on okay. to do Moonlighting with Bruce Willis. Right. I read his his autobiography recently, and he talked about some interactions with Bruce Willis. He said he was a a nice guy. He was always nice to him, but he said every conversation he had with Bruce Willis was a rehearsal for something he would go on to say in a public setting. So genuine moments he thought he had with Bruce, he'd watch a press conference the next day and Bruce would say verbatim what he had said to Curtis. And that's when Curtis realized that Bruce was always performing and I think Sly's probably very similar in his public presentation. Very interesting. And I totally agree. I don't know if it's an actor celebrity thing, but I watched, of course, I watched the family Stallone reality show and I'm going to watch season two. I watched season one. I'm going to watch season two, but it, this, it's the same thing. Sly has this, I think, I think it, side note, I think his daughters and his wife were, were the most real, like closest to maybe who they are. I and mean, maybe that's just who Sly is. That's, it's not that he's lying in the sense that's just who he is. I think he is a storyteller. He tells stories, and everything is a story. It's not the truth, or it might be basic. He might have said to Kirk Douglas, "Like, hey, you know what? Just don't don't be afraid. You can hit me. You can." And then you know he took some liberty with it, but it, it spins a better tale the way he told. Like, no, don't mess with Spartacus. You know, and you were the mm-hmm. champion. And ever since you saw me in Rocky, you've always wanted to beat me up. Like, what? Why? Why would Kirk or, or, say that? Or, or ever since I left, ever since you left the set of First Blood, you wanted to slap me. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say uh, you beat me to it. I was gonna give you some trivia. When was the last film they worked in together that didn't work out? Yeah, Kirk Douglas. Anyone listening? He tried Trailman, out for. Right? Yeah, he was gonna play Carl Trailman, but he wanted to change the <laughs> script they so badly. Film for like two weeks yeah i think so they got some film with him but the problem was he he wanted to become rambo by the end of the film well, that, see, the I mean, one yeah. that, that wanted the shot in the rear view mirror 
of like him him tilting the rearview mirror to his own face or something. Well, like he that. also yeah. wanted to kill Rambo at the end. That was the the major, which was in the book and understandable well, if, if you want to stick closely to the. It's true, uh, it was material. trauma. It was trauma that killed Rambo. But I think he wanted to become or something like <laughs> he that. wanted. Something. He wanted like the the hero's moment at the end of yes. the film. Like he he shoot he he puts Rambo down and then he drives off and and the last shot is him in the car <laughs> tilting the rearview mirror down to show his own face or something like that. And they're like. No, it's ridiculous. <laughs> I don't, that's hilarious. We Kirk is co- Kirk is okay. great though. I actually just watched a Kirk Douglas movie from the late seventies last night. That um, a Brian oh. De, Tom, De Palma movie called The Fury. Oh, I have yet to see that. I, I have never watched it before. I've been very sort of selective in watching Brian De Palma movies because everyone I watch, I absolutely love. So yeah. it's like sort of just saving, You're spreading uh, it out. Yeah, uh, but man, oh, yeah, I love going back to those old movies now. I've been doing that a lot lately. Yeah, watching but Kirk I watched kicks Heaven's Gate just recently. Sorry. Oh, okay, wow, yeah. yeah, first time I've never seen it. Well, and that's a movie that had a lot of baggage with it. So, like, you probably went in with like, you know, these expectations, like, oh wow, this is a movie that almost bankrupted a studio. It ended a director's career, like. And then you were probably like, ah, it's not that bad. No, I know it's weird. <laughs> it's weird when you look back at these films. Uh, yeah, so Kirk, I forgot, he just died recently. He lived to 103. You know what? When I was watching The Fury last night, I was like, I cannot tell you if Kirk is still alive or not. And and I was so into the movie, I wasn't going to stop it to get out my phone. 2020. And, like, he died yeah, in 20, okay. just three years ago, lived to 103. Can you imagine? 103 mm-hmm. years on this planet. Good for him. Uh, we got some uh, good comments here from uh, Alistair, who's in our chat. He said here regarding the stories, he goes, the story always changes, which suggests it's all exaggerated, which is true. He's done it with the Rocky script story. He's done it with a lot of different stories. He kind of always, it's always changing. He changes his own amounts, the old, you know, that sort of thing uh, that he was offered for money. Uh, Alistair also said that regarding John Lennis, he says, if Oscar didn't sink John Lennis' career, then Beverly Hills Cop 3 might have. And lastly, he said that if Oscar does uh, in Oscar does Sly adapt that fast talking technique that he previously used in Tango and Cash? Yeah, he probably carried it over the same type of quip, 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 quip. You know and, what, uh, what? 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 What kind of makes me think of like because everybody's first introduction to Sly was Rocky. So even in interviews like after Rocky and, and his performances that are different to Rocky, it's like. He wants to prove that he's not Rocky, so he does that fast talking thing and be like, "Yeah, Rocky's slow, but I'm, you know, I'm quicker." I don't know. I, I always got that that feeling in in his some of his performances and especially interviews. I think, uh, yeah, I, I agree with you, and I think what Sly does with Tango and Cash and what he did with Oscar, I think he's showing audiences to a degree. Mm-hmm. That he's not a slur talker, that he can actually yeah, speak. Like, yeah, a, yeah, yeah, he does that right at that, that, that. Look at me, I can talk fast, blah, 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 blah. Right. And yeah, I think it's showcasing that I'm, no, oh, I don't just talk like this in films. So, uh, you're right. right. It's a bit of a stereotype that he's breaking, and he, and he does break it. I mean, he is showcasing it again. It's not necessarily, it's not, he acts, fi- again, everyone in this movie acts just fine. Uh, do, do, does anyone want to break down generally what the plot is for anyone that actually hasn't seen the film that might be interested in watching the film? Yeah. So it's basically a, a tale of two couples, right? So his accountant, Snap's accountant, comes to him saying he wants to marry his daughter. He needs a raise. And oh, by the way, I found a, a flaw in your accounting system and I've been stealing from you. <laughs> Turns yeah. out that the account is not in love with Sly's, uh, Snap's daughter. It's a woman who said he snaps his daughter. 
So then that gets the three's company aspect yeah. of this movie going because then snaps goes and has a whole conversation with his daughter about who she wants to marry. She's talking about somebody completely different. So we've already got the, the mix up there. Um, and then there's a, another woman who comes to snaps, right. And says, I told somebody I was your daughter. Right. <laughs> I mean, I yeah. watched it two weeks ago at this point, we were supposed to record earlier. Yeah, we were supposed to record earlier. What happened? Whose yeah. fault was that again? I can't remember. That was mine. I got stuck oh, at it work. It doesn't matter. It always and then is she mine. turns out to really be his daughter. And no, that was, that whole... was the mother of, of the second girl who claimed to be his daughter. That was actually turned out to be his real daughter. Yeah. It's very convoluted. And then there's a suitcase that's got laundry and money in it, and it keeps getting confused. And jewels. There's three suitcases. Yeah, jewels. There's like a payoff that's happening. And the yeah. girl kept, keeps getting like an Uber driver. And mm-hmm. we get that like back and forth. Uh, yeah. So I got I got a quick little write up here. So in the comedy, <laughs> sorry, in the film, things get complicated when Anthony discovers that Teresa, the woman he loves, is not Snaps' daughter as claimed. Snaps tricks Anthony into agreeing to marry his actual daughter, Lisa, who is unhappy with the arrangement. However, Lisa falls in love with Dr. Thornton Poole instead. Then meanwhile, the police and a mob rival, Vendetti, are both watching Snaps' mansion, suspecting he's meeting with Chicago mobsters. Anthony seeks out Teresa while Snaps reconnects with an old flame, Roxy. Teresa is revealed to be Roxy's daughter, making Snaps her father. And then during a meeting with bankers, Snaps realizes they intend to take advantage of him and decides to return to a life of crime. And in the end, there's a double wedding for his daughters, and Oscar himself makes a memorable appearance. With a joyful double wedding, the movie concludes on a high note. There you go. I got the little word. Now, as much as I love Tim Curry, man, was this just weird... He was a very casting. This was he was probably the biggest miscast. I agree. I think he's a great actor, great comedic and drama actor. This is a bit of a miscast for him. I think there might have been some sort of excuse the pun, some favored curried from a previous <laughs> film role uh, that he did with, with that he did with Landis with the it just clue, felt the creepy, clue, the right? Film. Like and he did it. He, he's much felt, older. Is he old, much yeah, older it, than? Uh, yeah, he might have been miscast, but. God, he's twenty. He's twenty he, years older than the character, so the actors are twenty years apart, and it shows in this film because Marissa is twenty six in the film in real life, but she looks twenty one. She looks quite young, like she could pass for twenty one year old, barely twenty one year old. Whereas Tim Curry looks every part his age in that film. He looks almost forty. Yeah. Um, he's so funny. <laughs> I don't care what you give you. You could have that guy read the dictionary, and I will laugh. Great actor. His his facial uh, uh, expressions, it, it, he's just he, he's always on another level. He always goes for it. Now the guy, the actor that played Anthony, the the clerk, right, or the the, the guy, yeah, his name is Vincent Spano, and he, him he was actually again the cast is not the problem. The, what they bring or how they bring it, everyone's dialed in to their roles. Okay, like they're all acting like this is night five of a seven week run, or, or sorry, like a seven night run in, on Broadway. You know what I mean by that? Like they're all dialed in. They're all giving their full performance. Nobody is, uh, you know, they're all fighting to keep their spot on mm-hmm. the Broadway play, right? So Vincent again, uh, Vincent Spanel, who plays this, I thought, oh boy, he seems familiar, or he seems like I've seen this guy before, and he has a lot of television and film roles but he just mm-hmm. never made it anywhere like he has a lot of roles he's been in a lot of stuff this is probably his biggest screen time role and i thought he probably should have deserved a better time in hollywood i, I am i crazy here or? 
did he do stage stuff? Because he has that kind of delivery. Not uh, he, looking at his Wikipedia. There's no stage work, just uh, film, films, and TV. What are your guys' thoughts on him? Because I thought he was strong. I thought he would. He's got he that face. Yeah, it, it was weird that he just never. Of all the actors, it, like he just never did much afterwards. As far as like prominent, like mm-hmm. FaceTime, he's been a steady worker, which is an okay way to be. I've always said, you know, if you're going to be one of these guys, there's a documentary. I forget what it's called, but it's something like, uh, "Oh, you're that guy." I know that face or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's actually not a bad gig if you think about it. Like, there's no pressure. That's right. There's no, you're not carrying a movie. Yeah. It's not your job to to open the movie. Right. That's right. Like if the if uh, Mission Impossible film bombs, which the latest one apparently isn't doing as well as they hope financially. I heard it's a good film, but it's just not bringing in the box office. Uh, it's not Vin Rames isn't worried. You know what I mean? Like it's not his film. They're not saying it's a Vin Rames. They always say it's Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise. Like they're putting it on his shoulders. Whatever the or the Indiana Jones films. It's on. It's always on Harrison's. You know. So yeah, you're right. Being the uh, being a character actor or just a, uh, a a working actor, it's not a bad way because you still can go like to Disneyland. You know what I mean? Or go shopping and, right. and but you have a steady income and work on film. I don't think it's a bad way to go. Yeah. No, that's probably the preferred way to go. You know, you're making a living and you don't get mobbed everywhere you, you go. Well, you get mobbed everywhere you go, Doug. I mean, yeah, look at you. I, think it also <laughs> de- I also think it depends on, like, where you choose to live. Like, you mentioned Harrison Ford, Ryan. But, like, right. Harrison Ford lives in Montana. That's right. He you know, that, like, yeah. these Farming. people that, that bitch about, like, not being able to go out, don't live in L.A. Don't live mm. in New York City. Be like Harrison right. Ford and move to Montana. Nobody in Montana cares who he is. He can go to the local grocery store and not get mobbed because people in Montana don't care. You know, there are people that make a living taking pictures in L.A. and New York and Miami and Chicago. Like, it, it, I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. You build this cage for yourself. Deal with it, you know. like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, John Belushi was originally – going to be a part of this film obviously before his death wow so it was in development that long <laughs> yeah wow yeah so and, it was with john was with john Len- with john lennis attached yeah. director who was he gonna that. play i think snaps wow <laughs> okay That's a, yeah uh well he would have joined up with um animal yeah, was- house co-star rygert and landis obviously there you go peter, peter Riger. Also, a highlight of this film, he does that, like you said, Marissa Tomei understood the assignment. So did Peter Riger. He had that, that yeah, he was quick great. talking forties no. like drawl. Yeah, and didn't he, he play the councilman in Sopranos that gets uh, beat with the belt? Wasn't that him? Yeah, he was. He was. Yes, in the that's Sopranos. right. He, has, yeah. he was Assemblyman Ronald Zellman, six episodes <laughs> of the Sopranos, and he gets beat with the belt when he he does a complete <laughs> nude scene where he gets completely emasculated by by Tony in front of Tony's ex mistress. Yeah, he's a great actor. He, you're right. So him and Tommy were highlights as far as uh, uh, they 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 came with that ha she she that kind of like talk. You know, they were they dialed in for sure in, in the silliness of the him and and Chaz Palminteri had that that um like uh, right. Do you remember like the old cartoons? There was the the little mobster guy and then the big Muggsy. Yeah, 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 yeah. That, that was Peter Riger and Chaz Palminteri in there this film. Go. Perfect. That like to a T that they yeah. reminded me of those two guys. Chad oh, was, was awesome in this too. He put playing like the dopey, you know, slow guy. Yeah. I, I think ultimately at the end of the day, 
tighten this movie up. Don't don't be married to the idea that you have to do a, a faithful adaptation of this stage play. Yeah. Again, screwball comedy, 95 to 100 minutes. You know, yeah, that extra tightly, 10 minutes yeah. does matter. I mean, it it does. I mean, you might say, oh, you know, 10 minutes isn't anything. Like, think of all the things you can do in 10 minutes and then get back to me. And I think that's the main problem with this movie is like, I think tonally it wasn't 100% consistent. Like Ryan said, it's got those naked gun moments. But then also just tighten it up. And I mm-hmm. think it would have been a much, a much better movie. I mean, I, I think Ryan alluded to it is, and, and this is, it was the same experience for me. Like there were so many times during this movie where I checked my watch mm-hmm. and you know what, when I watched rhinestone, I didn't check my watch. And if that's a barometer of whether a movie's doing its job or not, oh, I'm sorry. Okay. I gotta, I gotta throw mm-hmm. the support to rhinestone on this one. Yeah. I, I, I felt, I felt every uh, minute of the hour and 50 or whatever it was. Um, but there was enough sprinkled in there to keep me, to keep me entertained, to keep me chocolate. Like I knew, you know, the, the, the whole bag thing. I was like, every time another black bag came into the scene, I was like, Oh, here we go again. But right. then, you know, the next scene shows Chaz Palminteri when, when, uh, uh, snaps tells him, don't take your eyes off the bag. He puts the bag on the table and starts just staring at it until he gets distracted. And of course, you know, shenanigans ensue, but that moment, uh, that that, that's what Mulligan or Mulholland put in the script too. Shenanigans mm-hmm. ensue, and he let them oh, worry yeah. about it. <laughs> so, but that you know that moment with Chaz Palminteri being being an idiot kind of it kept me you know kept me hooked. So Jim Mulholland, speaking of him, he actually uh, helped write Bad Boys. By the way, look at that. Well, do you know who was originally supposed to be in Bad Boys? Who? And we're talking about the the Will Smith bad boys, right? Not yeah, the yeah, John yeah. Penn well, bad boys. Yeah, okay. No, yeah. Um, bad boys was originally developed for Dana Carvey and John Lovitz. <laughs> <laughs> My, what a different movie that would. Have been. Oh, that so was. So, if you think about Mul- uh, Mulholland's involvement, uh, it was probably you're right when it was a John Lovitz Dana Carvey movie. Right That's in great. the film's early stages of development. Uh, Brockheimer initially envisioned Dana Carvey and John Lovitz. There you go. And when the film was written for Carvey and Lovitz, the original title was Bad Boy uh, for Bad Boys was Bulletproof Hearts. That's a badass name, actually. Now, you're probably right. The Jim Mahal and comedy parts were probably what was kept there. You're right. Um, Speaking of uh, Jim Mahal as well, back to Jim, this guy. So he was 19 when he started writing for Johnny. He was the youngest writer ever to write for Johnny. That's awesome. And he's the one a Writers Guild Award and has received 20 Emmy nominations in late night comedy, uh, late night comedy category. So he's no slouch in his <clears throat> comedy writings other than Oscar. Um, yeah. Did you guys catch the uh, small cameo by Marshall Bell too? Quato himself? No, who's, at who's the Marshall very, Bell? Who's Marshall Bell? He's the guy that played Quato in, Total, in uh, Recall. Total Recall. He's he's one of those that guys. He's been in a ton of shit, but uh, he was in Twins. Um, what was his uh, role in Oscar? He? he was one of the reporters at the uh, end after um, you know when uh, when the the uh, what's his name the other mobster got arrested. Yeah, yeah. I just watched uh, Total Recall like two weeks ago. Yeah. Um, um, I know we did it for we did it for um, 
with Seiko. The Arnold, yeah, the Arnold. Yeah, project. did that even that aired already, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Seiko's like he's gone, right? Like <laughs> he got a, he, he got a he got a new job, so he's oh, yeah, did he? He's, uh, yeah, but he's, he's like did, that so far. I'm, I'm pretty sure I recorded an episode with running him man. that hasn't aired. Did we do yet. Running Man, Running Man, yeah. Yeah, I think he's nice. got some stuff in the in the book. So I don't think the Arnold podcast is retired. Are you still doing it with him, Doug, no. or is it retired? Yeah, or? as far as I know, he he said August we were gonna pick back. Okay, up. okay. I think yeah. I recorded a, a an episode for the the Mel season two as well. Which that which movie? That's possible. I don't even remember. <laughs> I know I did Machete Kills with him. Yeah, that came out, didn't it? I re- yeah, I, but that I, one I, came out. I swear I did another one. I don't know. <laughs> it just feels like I haven't heard from Seiko in like. Like probably like two months. I know it's been fantastic. Not, not, you, you know what you did? You know what you did? You you summoned him. <laughs> you said his name three times. He's coming uh, back. Uh. Oh no, I can see it now. Uh Stallone sucks. I hate Stallone. He's such a Here comes the ego again. All about Sly. I know why did we give a Dutch old. guy that that voice? I don't know. I, I always think he's German, anyways. Okay, well, he's just a deep cussier. So, like, I love Zico. I've had some real fun podcasting with him. It's, he's a character. Yeah, in fact, yeah. he just messaged me during this recording. I swear he knows we're live right now. He's, he just he just messaged me to say he's stuck in London. I'm like, okay, well, good luck. <laughs> I never okay. know what time it is either. When when I converse with Zico, I'm like, is it the middle of the night there? It's the middle of the night for me. Is it the middle of the day there for him? All right, boys. So, I mean, what's your uh, – I mean, we've kind of hinted at it. One last piece of trivia I found was kind of actually fairly interesting. I think the trivia is the highlight of this episode. There was a fire. Did you hear about the fire? Anyone? No, I don't know. Okay, so um, so uh, you're right here. Um, after a long day of filming, a fire broke out. It caused extensive damage to the movie set. It destroyed several sets, including the trailers of some of the actors, like Tim Curry's, for example. The flames also consumed the uh, all the costumes and wow. 21, 21 vintage cars. Whoa. Oh, oh, man. So trailers, costumes, and cars. So this is a huge fire. Did they ever get down to the bottom of it? How- yes, I'm getting there. So because oh. of the fire, production had to stop for two weeks while they worked out uh, – to recreate so they actually had to recreate was it costumes. insurance fraud for the cars please tell me uh, it was insurance fraud for the, the cars i don't know more than this but it turned out that the person hired to guard the cars was the one who admitted starting the fire dude that was insurance for the cars whoever rented those cars out was like you know oh. what i need to get out of this fucking vintage car game <laughs> light them up now oscar actually won some oscar or sorry was nominated for an oscar Speaking of costumes design, it was actually nominated oh, for costumes. Was it for the score? No, uh, that scores. Well, the score was okay, but that you're right about that six minute intro of the scene. Oh, was it costume I, design? Yeah, costume okay. design. Yeah, and it didn't I, win, right? No, it did. It didn't win, but it got nominated for an Oscar. So Oscar was nominated for an Oscar. So, uh, and also uh, was nominated. Uh, your drum roll, please. It was nominated Razzies. for two. <laughs> Good old Sly. Uh, he was nominated for worst actor. Now, come on, that's see these. No, the, Razz- Razz- the Razzies have always been low hanging fruit, and they and and they'll they'll never change. And uh, you know, screw the Razzies. 
Yeah, so yes. they nominated Sly again for, but he he didn't uh, receive the award. And John Landis was also nominated for worst actor. Now maybe he, or worst director. He should have received it for the Twilight Zone for being right? a murderer, yeah. but I don't think he did. So, so. Talking about the Razzies real quick. Um, yeah, please. I, I love when people give the Razzies a taste of their own medicine, and um, I recently saw footage. Paul Verhoeven great legendary director of total recall also as we know directed the uh fiasco known as showgirls and he knew he was going to be nominated for all these razzies so he actually showed up at the razzies so they had to do all of the categories and be ultra mean about the movie with paul verhoeven sitting there and when he won worst director which is a fucking joke he went up there and accepted it and I love that because it's like, you know what? I'm not going to let you guys demean me or the work I do. Tom Green showed up and made his own red carpet for the Razzies. Like, I just love that. And, you know, I mean, we've talked about the Razzies and what a joke it is and how they've always had it out for Sly, mm-hmm. even nominating for him for movies that have no business being nominated. And they don't have the balls to ever nominate the true movies that deserve it. It's yeah, and screw them. Uh, uh, somebody else received their award. I think it was uh, Sandra Bullock did it too. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I, I, there's I, there's a, 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 a more a, a more than a handful of examples of people that were like, you know what, I'm gonna yeah. go get my award. I would get it too, actually. In fact, I think it was, it was the same year she was nominated and or I don't know, is she an Oscar winner? I think she won a Razzie and an Oscar the same year. I think she's won wasn't she two. like nominated? If she was ever nominated, it was like for the Blind Side. Yeah, it was blindside. Oh, yeah. uh, we'll close on the, we'll we'll close on this if you want. This is what Sly had to say about the film. He said, "I made a movie once, and uh, called uh, Oscar, and uh, everybody who saw the movie and liked it would never go out." And, sorry, let me. Oh, sorry. This is Landis talking about Sloan. My apologies. Okay, Landis had this to say. He said, "I made a movie once, Oscar with Sylvester Stallone, and everybody who saw the movie and liked it would never go out and see Stallone." What? Never go and see Stallone. I think he was saying they wouldn't normally go see Stallone movies. I guess he goes. We did a preview of the movie, and someone wrote on the card, "Oh yeah, why didn't he take his shirt off and kill anybody?" But we had an extraordinary cast. We had Kirk Douglas uh, and a girl who had never been in a movie before, Marissa Tomei. She was so extremely great from the first day. And what had she done before? Practically nothing. Now that's talent. She was unbelievably good. I did have something else here regarding Oscar. Though. I thought I had it for. Uh... Oh, this is during the Tulsa King. Sorry, he was speaking with ComicBook.com in support of Tulsa King. Stallone says he still loves Oscar, in spite of its lukewarm reception. There you go. It's so weird the movies that he he throws his retroactive support behind. You know, he'll talk about regretting Rhinestone or, you know, some other movie, but then, or, you know, but then he'll throw his support behind Oscar. It, it's weird. He probably yeah. also refers to his experience with making it, you know, maybe I'm he sure might have had some, a good time. Yeah. Some movies, even though the product might have been okay, he probably had a miserable time or issues with somebody behind the scenes, you know. Comicbook.com asked, Asked uh, Stallone whether uh, Oscar's Angelo snaps provolone or Tulsa King's Dwight the General Monfredi, which one was the more dangerous character? Stallone said snaps, of course, with a laugh. <laughs> okay, so he's joking. Yeah. After comicbook.com's Chris Killian said he loved Oscar, Stallone replied, I guess that's the guy doing the interview, I did too. 
I guess it was too much of a shocking transition from Rambo to that, but I love doing that kind of drama. This one here sort of leans in that direction. Mm-hmm. Actually, didn't he reference in the movie that like he was responsible for like the St. Valentine's Day massacre? Yeah, he okay. he, he alluded to it. Yeah, oh, so, so that, that would definitely He's, make yeah, him yeah. More, more violent and dangerous. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, so there you go, folks. Uh, Stallone dabbling. Here's the thing: we talked about how Stallone should dabble to, in more mafia stuff. He certainly does with the Tulsa King. Uh, are we getting a season two? Is that not happening now? Well, I mean, we've got the writer strike right now. That being said, strike was not helping. But there was an announcement that they were doing a season two, but then Sly kind of like said he's done. You can't close the book on that the way they closed it. No, you. I don't know if it's a negotiating tactic or jail. But you'd think that before they announced the season two, they would have had a, a a contract in place for him. I mean. Or, or maybe that was just maybe negotiating for the family Stallone. Uh, I mean, you know, to you know, say, hey, I'm not going to do Tulsa King unless you commit to the family Stallone. I, I don't know. Well, according to an article from uh, this month, uh, Stallone's former mafia capo Dwight will be in season two, and uh, much of the cast will remain the same, according to this article. So I don't know if they're – if that was just Stallone being Stallone, because he did say something like, oh, I'm done. I'm tired. I'm done. Mm-hmm. But that's, but that was it. It was just him. I've he also separated it. from his wife. And then like four weeks later, it was like, oh, no, we're good. We're doing a reality show. Like, <laughs> well, speaking of which, we figure out the timeline uh, really quickly here. So during the reality show, there's no indication of his dog that he got, his tattoo removal or the divorce. The, because that all happened during the reality show before and after and during. So, bef- so what they did was apparently they refilmed things to, uh, to ignore that it ever happened. They whitewashed the separation from the reality show. It didn't wow. ever, it never happened. Yeah. Okay. Because if surprised. you actually, if you, if you actually do the timeline of when Frank Stallone performed at the uh, hard rock cafe, it was sly went with Frank while he was separated but they refilmed things to make him and jennifer still together during that like a phone call conversation and things like that mm. so in the reality show quotation mark of the family stallone there was never a divorce or separation it's never spoken to it's never brought up and his new dog that he had or got is never shown or talked about mm. yeah okay i think alistair also said that um Sly, didn't Sly say Tulsa King involves spending too much time away from family? But yeah, they're thinking about re, they, well, one of those things was they're not going to film in Oklahoma again. They're going to film closer. I think that was one of the negotiations. <clears throat> yeah. Well, you know, it, it's 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 weird. Like, do you need? I mean, can't you film that anywhere and then do like two weeks of location shooting in Oklahoma where you get, mm-hmm. you know, like that big circle that they always show? Like, right. you know, you just get the landmarks. You it's know, like, like stuff. Yeah, I mean, Sopranos filmed in, the, in in a studio in Queens, right. and then every once in a while they go to Montclair or wherever and and Nutley and shoot outside the house. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't have to film in Oklahoma. You're right. Yeah, it's 2023. <laughs> <laughs> well, so we either get the season two of the Tulsa King or Cliffhanger two. Which one will come out first? Okay, well, depends on when the writers come back to work. That's right. Sly might die before that happens. Okay, well. Uh, <laughs> That's it, there guys. We have it. <laughs> yeah. 
So there you go. So uh, we got already from Craig. Uh, he's never going to see this film again, unless he does another film review of this. Craig, he might. Mm-hmm. Are you done? Are you retired? Are you retiring? Talking about this film? I'm retiring, Oscar. Yes. Is there a contract <laughs> I can sign saying I'll never <laughs> podcast about this movie again? Oh crap! I forgot to hit record. All right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Well, Doug, what, then what Alistair will be the only one that ever hears this. <laughs> no Doug, what about you? Uh, it, it had its moments. It had its moments. Sly was not the shining star in this, although I felt like his game was elevated, you know, due to the people around him. And I didn't hate it. I didn't hate it. There, there are other films of his that I would put to rest long before this one. Will I would see rather, again? Oh, Who knows? But what, what would I rather? Asking, would you rather watch Oscar or Stop or Mumble Shoot? <laughs> Oscar. Okay, how about how about Oscar or Rhinestone? Oscar. I hated Rhinestone. Wow. Okay. How about Rhinestone or Stop or Mumble Shoot? Oh man, that's a good one. Got to go Rhinestone. Stop or my Mumble Shoot was probably the worst piece of garbage I ever watched. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. I will watch Stop or My Mumble Shoot before I watch Oscar again. Wow. Because I'm not because it's so ridiculous and stupid. I at least I like I don't know how to explain it. This again, this tries to be something. Look, both films try to be something or not, but this one, it doesn't fail miserably. It fails oddly quietly, and it's it's almost not even enough to make fun of it because it looks good, everyone's acting good, it, mm. it, it's filmed and edited nicely. Everyone brings their A game, but something falls short. I can't quite put my finger on why that is. I don't, other than just maybe a tighter script. And, that 10 minutes, Ryan, that yeah. I was talking mm-hmm. about. I'm telling you. Yeah. All right. All right. All right, guys. So I don't know. What's our next film, by the way? Any teases? What do we have left here? Anyone? Daylight. Let's, we, let's officially we, do Daylight. No, we did Daylight. We did it with Gunda. <laughs> No, I'm not doing that. Come on, guys. No, no, that was done for the network. That was done for the network. That wasn't a slidecast. That was a network one. That was an actual podcast for the, uh, one. It's just what's the? Uh, isn't there a poker movie? Shade. Or- oh, yeah, Shade. Shade. Yeah, Shade is Shade. one that I put on a poll a couple times. We've done. Did we? Did we ever do? Did we end up doing ICU? Yes. Yes. yes okay. We did. <laughs> Very um, forgettable. <laughs> yeah. Goodness. Um, Shade. I have the DVD. I, I just looked wow. at the DVD the other day. Wow. Um, so I know I, I'm prepared to watch that. I love Shade. I think Sh- Shade's great. It's got one of the funniest young Stallone actors. I always love when they try and like cast a right. young version of Sly. And we'll talk about it if we end up doing yeah. that movie, how great the the Sly and Shade is. I don't know. I I, I don't know what else is left. Um, well, uh, I, it's just around the corner. Something to consider. Don't uh, we, say we, it. No, party no, kitty <laughs> no, party kid. We already said party kitty and studs will be the final episode. Will be uh, other than whatever happens to get released new. Uh, but uh, speaking of new films, Expendables Part Four is actually coming out in September. That could very well should be our next one. That's next month. Okay, that means I have to go to the movies, which yes, I'm not sure do. I'll be able to do. No, you can't. Come on for the show. Let's do it. Let's get on top of it. <clears throat> We've done the first three Expendables. This will be the fourth one. I think it's. I think it. I think people would want to hear. It's got an R rating. It's back yeah. to the uh, back to basics. Yeah, that means they just went in and they just like turned on the blood effect. Craig, do you need <laughs> us to send you finance? Do you need, do you need money for the ticket? Do it's you need not money? that. It's just I. I don't know, man. I'm I, okay. So like, go, I think our go. next one will be Expendables Part Four. When uh, in September does it come out? The month of at some point. I'm not sure. All right. I mean, it's August fifth as we record this. Yes. Um, well, I, I, yeah, Expendables I, I, Four or Shade. 
I mean, if, oh, release date September twenty second. So it's at the end of the month. Yeah. Um, maybe make that October. T- yeah. So maybe we could squeeze in one more before. But if we're going to do that, because I know everyone's very busy. Well, it we all depends just... on when you record, the, like when you release this. Yeah, I know. Uh, sooner than later, I shouldn't take too long. This shouldn't be too hard of an edit. It can almost go out as is. I think it went without a hitch, almost to a degree. So yeah, I, um, I don't know. I mean, if you want to wait <clears throat> for Expendables, uh, I, I'll I'll go see it opening weekend. I mean. <laughs> I, I really i in all honesty and i mean call me a shitty fan i haven't thought about expendables 4 man i watched the trailer i forgot it the minute it was over mm-hmm. i've seen the poster i've seen sly's name creep up closer to the top oh and i saw your post about the, the cgi blood like i i don't know like it's hard for me to get excited about an expendables movie i didn't like, say you had to be excited i just said yeah. you had to watch it. <laughs> no but i should be like that's the thing. I should be excited for an Expendables movie, and I'm not. No, you're right. You know, it's funny. I forgot Part Four was coming out too. I've had a busy summer moving from cross country and what have you, but I actually forgot. Oh yeah, that's coming out this September. Part Four. I've been thinking about Tulsa King season two more than I have about Expendables four. So yeah, yeah. All right. So it's either gonna be Shade or Expendables four. But if it's Shade, it'll be Expendables four afterwards. Put it that way. So either way, we're gonna do a review. The network wants to hear it. All right, folks. Uh, uh, Doug, are you give us more Rocky uh, three minute stuff? Yeah, yes. Okay. I, I actually um, have an episode. Well, I got a couple, but I was going to release one this weekend. So, okay, um, coming at you. All right, and uh, Craig, do you have any guest guest spots? I know you did a recent one on the Retro Made podcast. Yeah, I had a ton of fun talking a movie that a lot of people don't really, I don't I think know about. I didn't know about that movie till your episode. Do you want to say what yeah, it was? Yeah, the uh, I guess uh, on this season of Retro Made, Katie's focusing on uh, Patrick Swayze and Kurt and Kurt Russell. Yeah. Uh, and she asked me, "Hey, do you want to do a movie featuring either of those guys?" And I was like, "Either I'll do either Used Cars or The Best of Times." And wow. it looked like the best of times was easier to find, you know, for people to actually go and watch it. Right. Um, so we did the best of times. And uh, what well, Doug is like, I'm not a fan of the best of times. See you later. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Doug just he, left the chat. OK, he's gone. <laughs> um, but either way, yeah. Um, Retromade, I think if you if you search uh, in your podcatcher, Retromade, um, quite a few of us have been on there. You did an episode. You did yeah. Big Trouble in Little China. Yeah. Which fun. I yelled at the I yelled at my my headphones a couple times. Listening. Thank you. <laughs> I and uh, I, do, uh, I, I know Sean. Sean from uh, I Must Break This Podcast did a an episode. Yeah, um, yeah. There was some great uh, guest spots on there. She's doing great. We uh, we love Katie, and I'm, I'm so happy and proud of her that she's branched out and does her own thing now. It's you great. know what I really dig is like the first thirty minutes was just talking about uh, what I think my movie was 1986 or 87, right? And the first thirty minutes we just talked about pop culture in 1987, which was really yeah. really cool and lots of fun. Um, and I know that's the format of the show. So like listening to the big trouble in little China episode, I got to hear your sort of experiences with pop culture from the yeah. year that came out. It came out the same year. Oh, that's crazy. Uh, now do you have any other guest spots or anything coming on the horizon that you've been a part of, or I may or may not have an episode with Seiko. That's right. Out. That's right. <laughs> He's going to release it eventually. He has been busy work. Okay. So Doug, Doug is gone. Uh, he, I think he left by accident. So uh, I'm yeah. sure he would have given his uh, well, wish. thanks everyone. Thank you for listening. Oscar could have been funnier, should have been funnier. Look good. Everyone came and did, it was an odd movie where everyone did their part except for, the editor, maybe director. So maybe next time, don't get a murder, direct your film. Okay, with that, we'll see you on the next one.
All right. Take care. All right. Talk to you later, Craig. All right. Bye-bye, man.